Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the 2020 preview season rolls on. We are now talking about your Virginia Tech Hokies, and we absolutely could not do that nearly as effectively without bringing in our boy, Norm Wood. We had an excellent conversation with him. Uh, first off, though, how are you doing? Are you ready to talk about your team? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk about my team. Um, yeah, we just had a really, really good conversation with Norm. He's now a regular on the podcast. We established that um, towards the end of the interview, which which was great banter back and forth. But yeah, he's officially a regular, um, you know, from, I, you know, I, I've known Norm a while now, but he's one of the more knowledgeable guys on the beat. Um, does a really nice job, really in depth with the amount of knowledge he brings of the program. And, um, you know, had a pretty realistic, and in my opinion, pretty realistic expectations as far as what the ceiling and, and the floor is uh, for Virginia Tech and, you know, what in theory should be a make or break year for Justin Fuente. But given the pandemic, who really knows? Yep. And as you will hear from him, I mean, within the fan base, expectations are high. A lot of returning production, a lot of consistency, at least on the offensive side of the ball from a coaching standpoint. Um, so we will see. But I, I don't want to take too long here because this is a, a bit of a lengthier conversation. So, Mike, with no, without further ado, here it is, our conversation with Norm Wood. Take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome on Norm Wood, Virginia Tech reporter for the Daily Press in Newport News and the Virginian pilot in Norfolk, here to help us preview your Virginia Tech Hokies, Mike. Norm, it is a pleasure having you back on the show, a, another returning guest. Uh, again, always fun having you on. How you been, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me. It's been great. Just uh, grinding through just another uneventful, boring offseason, right? Nothing going on. I mean, really, right? Just kind of... You know, I mean, it's just standard stuff, right? Quite literally nothing, you could almost say. <laughs> it, it has been uh, quite, the, quite the interesting offseason. Hopefully you and the family stayed safe and stayed healthy through all the quarantine and pandemic nonsense that continues going on. Um, but we are going to try to give the people a little escape from that here as we, we preview the upcoming 2020 ACC football season or what, what we know it to be as of right now. Um, and so really we just wanted to kind of talk about Virginia Tech and what we're expecting coming into the, the season. Um, obviously, Mike knows plenty about this, but, you know, it's always nice to have additional perspectives as well. And so wanted to start off, and just because it's me and because I am – I'm kind of becoming the coach hater guy on this show. Um, you are. I, yeah, that, I'll, I'll allow that. Um, I wanted to ask kind of about Justin Fuente and his standing going into year five as head coach of this program. Um, started out with a bang in 2016, took Virginia Tech to the ACC championship game, really strong year. I think it was like 11-3 and three with the finish. 
Um, really, really good year out, out of the gate. And then the last couple of years, the next couple of years, it started to sputter a little bit. And then last year it was not great. And then it was really great. And then it again, kind of sputtered towards the end. And now in the off season, especially with some of the recruiting that's been going on, it seems like there's been some growing restlessness with the Virginia Tech fan base. And to some degree, it reminds me of some of the fracturing that started to develop in the Georgia Tech fan base regarding Paul Johnson in the later years. Is that is that a fair assessment? Kind of what what is the general standing of Fuente with the athletic department and then with the fan base on a separate note? Well, I I, I think that there's a couple ways to look at this, and and one, yeah, I think there is some some restlessness from from fans who uh, want to see this program return as quickly as possible to. Uh, somewhere in the vicinity of the stretch that they enjoyed during some of Beamer's great later years, uh, when they won ten plus games for you know eight what was it eight consecutive seasons there. Um, that, that's asked a lot, especially in a in a in a in an ACC that's improving. Um, you know, and and you you may say, you know, the Coastal Division is. Is uh, is pretty weak, but that's there's an awful lot of parity over there, and, and and they've they've even even in Beamer's best years, they struggled against Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is 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 better. Um, you know, obviously UNC is getting better; they've had some down years. Uh, Virginia is getting better, clearly. Um, so that I think is 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 causing some some consternation from fans, also, and the fact that they see some of the programs around them in the coastal division, uh, not necessarily improving by leaps and bounds, obviously. Um, but they're, they're in the conversation and have not, if not, you know, passed surpassed uh, Virginia tech in some cases, um, uh, in terms of, of, uh, the, the, uh, sort of outlook for the program, you know, Miami, um, is sort of treading water a little bit. Um, Georgia tech clearly, is uh, rebuilding with a brand new system there with Jeff Collins and just trying to get things rolling and um, you know and, and 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 you know Duke I think is is probably taking a step back also but um, again these these are these are now it's not Virginia Tech that's head and shoulders above all these programs like they were for several years they're sort of in the mix in a, in a pretty mediocre um, you know uh, uh, coastal so you look at it from that perspective. And like you said, the, the recruiting issues, the transfer issues over the last three off seasons in particular, where you know they've had you know just about as many transfers as as anybody in the country. Um, some of those I think have been um, guys looking for more opportunities, legitimately looking for more opportunities, more so than than uh, than than some kind of uh, internal strife. Though there has been some of that also, um, and. and you know, I think losing, uh, taking some missteps with some of this this hashtag Texas to Virginia Tech um, movement that they were trying to to, to set in motion, uh, which has had sort of some you know, some some sputtering and, and wheezing here and there. Um, you know, last year I think they made a really nice uh, sort of inroads down there. Uh, getting Robert Wooten, Wooten and uh, Alec Bryant, a couple of really strong defensive ends who uh, are, are going to be promising players, I think, down the road and maybe even sooner rather than later for Virginia Tech. 
But then they took a step back this year with losing Demetrius Davis, four-star quarterback, Latrell Neville, um, you know, three, three, uh, borderline three, four-star uh, wide receiver. And um, that those two in particular, I think, cause a lot of people to look at the recruiting efforts and say, you know, what are we doing here? You know, what, 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 what are you guys up to? What's the, what's the, what's the um, you know, what, what is the direction this is going? If you flip all this around and you look at it from the other side and you try to see, you try to see what, what kind of where, – where, where they come from, I guess, during Fuente's tenure, let's not forget that this was a program that was not – I mean, they were struggling at the end of, of Beamer's tenure. I mean, over the course of his last four years, they won 30 games combined. And in Fuente's first four seasons, he's won 33 games. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people remember some of the losses, the painful losses that, that Virginia Tech's had over the last few years, especially the difficulties they've had at home. Um, their inability to win against a lot of top 25 teams, too. Um, those things are all things that stand out. And some of the, you know, uh, you know, Bud Foster at the end of his career giving up some some big numbers, his defense giving up some big numbers in some games. But, you know, let's not forget last year, I think they also had a half dozen games where they gave up 17 or fewer points. Um, so it's a lot of up and down. Uh, there's, there's less consistency, which, again, I think is what, what, you know, a lot of Virginia Tech fans got spoiled with that long eight-year stretch of 10-plus wins, and that's what they expect. And right, I get it. I understand. You want to get back to that. Um, but, you know, this is it, – it's, it's – it, it's a, it is an important season for, for Fuente, but I think uh, now maybe they get a pass, obviously, with, with the way things have gone this offseason, which, you know, I was joking at the top of the show about how this has kind of been an uneventful offseason. I think it's been a really eventful offseason in terms of just, uh, you know, the, 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 the way the, you know, we, we don't know whether they're even going to play yet, obviously, with the virus and, and uh, some of the, the social justice movements the players have gotten involved in. And it's, a, it's an offseason like we've never seen before. Um, and with the reconfigured schedule where, you know, coaches aren't going to know who they're playing in their opening week until a month before the season starts. Uh, so there really is no offseason preparation. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not going to say again. I don't know. Maybe maybe getting a pass is saying you know giving giving him too much credit, but it's um, giving him too much of a lo- too too long of a leash. But I don't know if you can necessarily say uh, this is a a truly make or break year for him, given the fact that you know again they didn't know what this schedule looked like until a few weeks ago, or should I say a week ago, really. Um, granted, having said that, there's an awful lot of talent on this team. Uh, they should do pretty well, you would think, even with a, a, a home schedule that has gotten a lot more difficult, I think, or, or, or has become very challenging. We'll say that from an ACC perspective. But uh, it's, you know, it, it, it is a, it's, it's a fan base that wants results. Norm, I think your point about, you know, this at least looking like a make or break here, now things have changed a little bit just given kind of the nature of, what has gone on over the past six or seven months just nationally in the country with the virus. You know, 
Tech wins 19 games in Fuente's first two years, and they've won 14 games the last two. It's been a lot of up and down. I mean, you and I were in the press box last year for the Furman game. Tech is literally losing um, by about a score and a half to, to Furman at halftime. You got fans in leaving in droves from Lane Stadium, and then it's like they flipped a switch when switching over to Hendon Hooker, quarterback, in the Miami game. And it was a completely different team for the second half of the season, but then you have that you got to couple that with the disappointment in the last couple games of the year with the Virginia loss and the Kentucky loss in the Belk Bowl. All of this to say, you know, coming into the new year and given what we know now um, with, with the schedule, what do you think is reasonable for the fan base to expect, whether it be from you know, a win-loss perspective or generally just kind of an overall team feel because, look, they return a ton on defense. They are returning a pretty significant amount on offense, especially on the offensive line for really one of the first times in Justin Fuente's tenure. Like, what do you think reasonable expectations are for this program? What's reasonable for fans to expect here? And that off, you mentioned that offensive line. For me, it's it's Having covered this program for 20 years, it's really bizarre to look at an offensive line where there's real actual depth. I mean, this is, you know, guys, multiple guys that have started games, you know, almost every returning player, it seems like, has, has started some. Um, that, that'll that make a big difference, obviously. And, yeah, but, you know, you, you mentioned what what, um, what should fans expect. Look, I got to um, – by Monday, I guess the a couple days after this uh, podcast comes out, I've got to file uh, the my first my preseason Associated Press top twenty-five poll. And I don't think it's any mystery to anybody that Virginia Tech is going to be sort of a borderline top twenty-five team, if not, you know, hovering in there around twenty-four, twenty-five somewhere, somewhere in that range. It seems like, which to me, fans are going to look at that and. I honestly think that the expectation is going to be nine, ten wins. I don't think that that's beyond the realm of possibility that that could happen. Um, but um, I think a lot of, I mean, from a fan standpoint, fans are, I think they're getting less forgiving at this point after what you mentioned, Mike, with, with, with the 14 wins in the last two seasons and, you know, finishing last season with a thud against Virginia and, and against Kentucky. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that uh, anything less than nine, ten wins, I think, will be looked at as a disappointment from fans. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's the way they should look at it. Just, again, from, from everything they have coming back with the nine starters back on, on defense and, and some pretty good depth. There were a lot of depth on the offensive line. And though they've lost – some in the backfield and quite a bit at receiver. There's talent there and a little bit of depth that developed there. And obviously Hennon Hooker and the tight ends, you know, with, even with Dalton Keene gone with James Mitchell and Nick Gallo there. I mean, it's, it's a talented team, man. And, and um, I just, you know, the, the, the schedule I think is, is challenging, especially from a home perspective. Um, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a doable schedule. It's not, it's not a schedule that, is incredibly daunting, I would say, but it's 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 a um, you know it's 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 challenging. Norm, you say that they should be expected to win nine or ten games. Is that in the normal twelve game format or in the ten plus one format? Yeah, well, yeah, good point. I guess I guess if you look at it from that from that from that standpoint, it's 
what eight or eight or nine win season, I guess. So yeah. Okay. Just making sure I'm hearing you right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eight, eight and three, nine and two. You know, if they stick with eleven games and they don't drop that non-conference game, which is you know a possibility. You know, they could go back to just ten. You know, the the athletic directors have discussions on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, here in the off season, especially during this pandemic. And you know, now that the SEC has decided that they're going to go with a conference only schedule, totally wouldn't surprise me if the ACC makes that decision too. And um, you know, then you're looking at maybe a <laughs> at that point maybe you're looking at a seven or eight win season that that uh, that fans should expect or will expect, should I say. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned how much this Virginia Tech team brings back. I mean, we'll, we'll hit on the defense in a minute where almost everybody's back. But even offensively, I mean, there, there's a couple guys to replace, but a lot of the key pieces are back. Hennon Hooker's back. Trey Turner's back. Um, a lot of the offensive line, as you were mentioning, with the depth and all that is still intact. Um, all the continuity on the coaching staff is still there from, from previous years. Everything really sets up for this to take another step forward with this offense now with Hendon Hooker settled at the quarterback position and a, a definitive number one guy there and, and just that much more comfort with the guys around him. Yeah, and, and you know, I think even though they did lose uh, Sean McLeese in the backfield, there's returning talent there, you know, with – uh, Jalen Holston, Keyshawn King back, and, uh, you know, if they can get, um, you know, Khalil Herbert up to speed, I think, you know, there's there's possibility they could have a real impact player there. And we still haven't heard about Raheem Blackshear's um, uh, waiver uh, to see if he can get some, you know, immediate eligibility coming in from Rutgers. Herbert obviously coming in from Kansas as a, trans, as a grad transfer. Um Blackshear is a guy I think that could provide them some real versatility as a guy coming out of the backfield and catch balls out of the backfield and line up in the slot. They can maybe even put him out on the perimeter and serious big-time wheels there, too, from that guy. So they've got some, some talent even in, in a backfield that, that lost, I guess, its, its, its top rusher. Um, shoot, we haven't even talked about um, Latarius Wheatley, I guess, too, who, who um, I guess – um, you know, he's, he's in that mix, I guess, if he's healthy. A big question mark for him was always whether he was healthy or not. I think he's back, right? I don't think I missed a transfer there. But um, anyway, <laughs> so they, they, they've got some depth there in the, in, in the backfield where, shoot, man, they've got, what, eight or, nine, eight or nine running backs now. So, And you mentioned the receiver positions where, you know, they lost um, – you know, a bunch of guys that transfer. Damon Hazelton is is a guy that they will miss, no question. Um, really dependable uh, route runner. Um, even got to be a little bit better blocker downfield. Um, great on the fade routes and those those corner routes, flag routes with with uh, Hooker. Uh, really had a nice rapport with him. Um, so he he will be missed, and and of course they lose some some depth with Hezekiah Grimsley and Phil Patterson and Jacoby Pinkney all transferring also. But Trey Turner is a big-time playmaker, a guy that can uh, do some of the things that Damian Hazleton did and, and maybe is even a little more athletic than him. Um, 
Tavion Robinson is, uh, you know, a dual threat guy who can do a couple things, a couple different things for you as a receiver and as a return specialist. Um, and, you know, I think they're expecting bigger things for him out of the punt return game. And, um, you know, Evan Sayers is a guy I think that they're expecting to, to come in and really help him as a big receiver. Another Kansas transfer, they can get him up to speed. Um, he, he could, I think he could be a real asset. Um, you know, James Mitchell, they, you know, is, is a, uh, is a tight end by title, but they, you know, they line him up a lot, a lot at the receiver spots and work him out there too. So, um, you know, there's, there's some talent there, uh, plenty surrounding, plenty surrounding Hendon Hooker, who, you know, is a real threat to, 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 to tuck it and run too at times if, if, uh, if he, if he sees, uh, things are, are collapsing, and he can make some some dangerous. He can make some some yards with his feet uh, too. So uh, there's even depth at the quarterback spot. You know, with with Quincy Patterson back, and and you know Braxton Burmeister, who we keep hearing is uh, you know an Oregon transfer. Who we keep hearing is the is the fastest, one of the fastest guys on the team, the fastest the fastest guy at that position. Um, and he you know if we you know let's not forget he was a four star recruit coming out of high school to Oregon. So they've, they've got really nice depth. Really, again, we touched on that offensive line. I, you know, Lucita Smith and Christian Derisaw are both all ACC candidates. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm excited to see what uh, Luke Tenuta can do. I think uh, getting, getting some, some work last year and, um, you know, if, if Silas Jansey can, can stay healthy, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he can contribute also on, on that line and uh, a couple other freshmen last year that got big time, you know, a lot of playing time. And um, so I, you know, that no longer is the offensive line a liability, I don't think. So this is a, this is a, 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 an offense that's fine to, to, to take a step forward under uh, offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson. No, I want to talk about the running game real quick because it doesn't feel like Virginia Tech's had a consistent running game at, really at all under Fuente. And if you date back to really 2011 with David Wilson, it seems like the last time they had a real consistent run game there. Um, and now with the offensive line depth back, I'm curious to hear what, what your answer is to this. I've thrown this around, um, you know, my work slack and stuff like that regarding um, the running game for the Hokies. I'm curious what you think with the offensive line depth coming back, but also – Virginia Tech's penchant, and I guess Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson's penchant to not really utilize just kind of one bell cow running back or, you know, even a number of running backs out of the backfield to really establish a running game. It doesn't feel like they've had that throughout Fuente's first four years. I'm curious as to what you think about the running game overall for the Hokies, if it has a lower ceiling just due to play calling and, you know, kind of what you think overall about the outlook in regard to that portion of the offense moving forward. Yeah, I think just from from just watching it, it's, it is a little frustrating to, to 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 look at how they have tended to go away from uh, you know maybe the hot hand at times back there and continue to utilize sort of a you know three, four, five, you know, a, a running back by committee type approach. Um, and I don't think you're going to see anything different. I mean, with the fact that they've got so much depth and they've really collected all these running backs, um, they've obviously convinced all these guys uh, that there's going to be an opportunity to play. I mean, we we even touch on 
guys like you know Taj Gary and you know uh, Marco Lee coming in, you know, a junior college guy um, from uh, Coffeeville, and um, you know Cole Beck. I don't know if he'll ever really play much, but that's just incredibly athletic dude that this you know just kind of buried you know behind all these guys, and I mean, obviously he was injured last year, and you know he's a track guy, but. Um, with all those guys, I just don't see the philosophy changing. This is something they did at Memphis when they played four or five different backs uh, on a regular basis in games. And, and um, I just, you know, the, I remember when, when Brad Carlson first spoke with us um, and he mentioned how, you know, he wants to play an awful lot of running backs. That's his style. And he wanted to, you know, he felt comfortable with up to 11, 12, 11 or 12 wide receivers on the roster, which, you know, obviously indicates to me that he wants to, he wants to get the ball into a lot of people's hands. And you know, as we've seen, maybe to the frustration of a lot of fans, a ton of jet, jet sweeps, you know, and, and, you know, in the rounds and a lot of that kind of, you know, or at least showing a lot of that pre-snap. Um, that's that's the other thing. Like they like a lot of personnel groupings that you know serve as window dressing. Um, they can achieve that clearly with a lot of different backs too, uh, of, of different sizes and varieties. So um, I think that's sort of their philosophy and and what they like to do out of their their uh, spread approach. And I don't think it's I don't think it's going to change. That's probably going to be frustrating to to uh, to to a lot of fans, but it's. It's the way they operate, and uh, you're right. It has it has uh, heretofore it's 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 uh, resulted in some inconsistencies, to say the least, uh, at that position, um, and some some reliance on the on the passing game. I think um, at times, uh, but uh, again, I don't think it changes. I was not shy about this at all last year, but I I really struggled to figure out the. Uh, the thought process behind the volume of running the ball that Virginia Tech did versus passing when the passing was so much more efficient and effective, it felt like. So I don't see any reason to think of that'll change. There's no, no change in head coach or offensive coordinator or anything, you know, no change in personnel real, really. I mean, a little bit of, I guess, you know, new running back probably with McLeese gone, but um, I, I, I figure we'll see more of the same there from a, a schematic and, and a theoretical standpoint. Um, I want to switch over to the defense here, Norm, and, and this is a uh, a really unusual situation, I guess, for uh, for Virginia Tech, and that we're going to be talking about a Virginia Tech football team with a defense that is not coached by Bud Foster for the first time since what I don't know. I was born, probably. Um, <laughs> Bud Bud was an absolute institution in, in Blacksburg, and and traditionally had one of the best defenses, not only in the ACC or even the old Big East, but even just in the country. It was, you know, well-renowned for, uh, you know, how effective his defenses were, which really makes for some pretty big shoes for Justin Hamilton to step into as a guy who has never been a defensive coordinator before. He's never called plays before. Um, you know, a little bit of a, a light track record for a guy to replace a guy who was there for, you know, I don't know, 30-some years, whatever Bud was. And yet, I, I've also heard a lot of, of positives and seeing the, seeing the praises of Justin Hamilton and his 
um, his intelligence and his wit and his um, understanding of the game and just a lot of really, really positive things I've heard about him. So is there any cause for concern, we'll say, or, or worry about a guy who's never called plays stepping in for this, you know, on this defense? Or is it really more of a positive thing? And then ultimately, should we expect to see any level of schematic change? Or is it all going to kind of continue to look mostly like what you saw under Foster? Sure. I think there's definitely some some uh, uh, cause for concern. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy that's trying to replace you know, a, a, a guy that could conceivably be the first assistant coach who's a college football Hall of Famer, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, as you said, big-time shoes to fill. And, and granted, the, the last few years of, of Bud's career were, were inconsistent and up and down. I mentioned last year um, that defense was um, – I think it took some steps forward at, 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 at times with uh, – you know, sort of a bend but don't break approach where they gave, again, 17 points in six or few, you know, in, in a half dozen games, 17 or fewer. Um, so, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, speculation and I guess some, some, some insight from, from uh, Justin Hamilton, at least uh, from some uh, internal writers, Jimmy Robertson on Virginia Tech staff, has really been the only guy that's had some real access to him. Um, and you know, it sounds like from, from what you know, Justin is, is a guy that played for, for, for Bud Foster. He's, he was a starting safety, uh, back in 2005. And, um, so he's got a feel for that defense and that four, two, five approach. Um, and, and I don't think that they're going to completely rip up, uh, what has worked at times and start from scratch. Um, but it does sound like Justin would like to be a little more multiple in what they do uh, from from a man and zone approach uh, on 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 that side of the ball. Doesn't sound like he wants to put his cornerbacks on an island quite as much. Uh, that does not mean that they're going to again go away from that entirely. I wouldn't be surprised if that's still sort of uh, the base look. Um, but I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see more wrinkles with, with some zone looks. And, um, you know, I know that they would like to be able to, to, to spread the defense uh, a little bit more because they feel like they've got some athleticism that can close some gaps. Um, and, you know, with a guy like Shamari Connor out there, I think that they're going to rely a little bit more on some of that athleticism out on that end um, and, and, and uh, not quite be sort of, the traditional four-two-five that Bud Foster um, really, really made his calling card, especially in the last, you know, decade, fifteen years of his career. Um, so, to me, it doesn't sound like to me that there's going to be um, a total departure from what they've done. You're still going to see a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, uh, especially with a guy like Bill Tierlink in there uh, with with his NFL background come from the Buffalo Bills and uh, bringing some of that uh, expertise to the defensive line. Um, and and I, I just uh, – I don't think you're going to see them, totally, again, rip up what they did with, with Bud, but I, I do think that uh, you will see more zone incorporated uh, with, with, you know, continuing with the base of, 
of, uh, you know, man coverage from the cornerbacks, which, you know, looks a little bit different now when you're, when you're missing Caleb Farley. That's it. And that's exactly where I was going to go next, Norm. Just quickly, I mean, there's, there's a lot we could talk about in terms of kind of off the field context and, and such that has gone on with Caleb Farley, but just strictly from a football perspective, losing him off that defense, we, Mike and I talked about it previously, but I mean, a guy that is not only one of the best at his position in the league, but also just across the country. I mean, he figures to be maybe probably a first round draft pick. I mean, um, in, incredibly talented, capable guy losing that piece off your defense is a big deal and it doesn't take your defense from being great to not good, but it, it can certainly, you know, there, there can be some effects that add up. I mean, how big of a deal is that loss, not only to this defense, but just to the team in general? Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you're looking at a guy as you, as you kind of uh, alluded to it, you know, he, he wasn't just a guy that's incredibly talented. I mean, this was a guy who was, sort of team captain caliber uh, in terms of the way teammates looked up to him. Um, and a uh, very mature guy uh, who's had to do a lot of maturing while he was in college is, has been well documented. His mom died back in January 2018 of breast cancer. And, um, you know, that's obviously affected his decision clearly to, to sit out this season and prepare for, the draft next year. So without him, you know, you're, you're losing, uh, never mind an all ACC guy. You're talking about a potential all American caliber player. Uh, you know, he led the ACC in passes defended and was tied for second in interceptions and, um, teams stopped throwing to his side of the field a lot of times, which obviously I think helps Jermaine Waller and helped show, what an advanced player he was as well. Um, Armani Chapman ended up being one of the, the 10 best or nine or 10, I guess, what was he? I think number nine in uh, coverage stats among freshmen in the country last year. Um, so they're, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. They're loaded at, um, at cornerback. I mean, we haven't even talked about Breon Murray, who I think is one of the most underrated players back there. Um, really versatile player who can give them some help at safety too. Um, but there isn't another Caleb Farley back there. Um, a guy that shuts down one side of the field, maybe Jermaine Waller, you know, emerges as that kind of player. Um, I mean, you're talking again without Farley, you you still have one of the top, maybe two or three cornerbacks in the conference with Waller. Um, and, you know, you got to see if Waller and Chapman are 100% healthy because you got to remember they were coming back from injuries. Uh, we're going to if they if if they had had spring practice, they were either going to be limited or 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 non participants in spring practice. Sounds like I would imagine they're going to be fine, but uh, they've got to got to got to have a good August and get ready um, and, and and show that they're healthy. Um, but again, it's it is it is a real challenge, especially this late. You know, right before the season, um, which is where we're at, uh, try to replace um, arguably the, the best player on the team. Norm, there's one other guy that needs to be replaced, at least a significant contributor for a number of years for Virginia Tech's defense, and he would be the biggest name to replace if Caleb Farley had not opted out, and that's Reggie Floyd, obviously, at the safety position. 
Um, so the Hokies are really going to miss him, obviously, because of his ability to defend the run. Um, his issues in pass coverage were well documented. But I want to talk about the guy kind of stepping in. It seems like going to be stepping in to replace him, and that's Devin Hunter um, moving to his redshirt junior season. One of the most highly touted recruits that Virginia Tech's had in a number of years, and he really just hasn't seen the field a whole lot. It's been either in a limited role or on special teams. What do you think reasonable expectations are for Devin Hunter? Because great recruit, obviously, but just to date hasn't really had the opportunity um, to really flourish. And I'm, I'm interested to see how he plays this year. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering the same um, from, from you, kind of what you think he could turn into for the Hokies, kind of replacing Reggie Floyd, a multi-year starter at that position. Yeah, Devin's got some, some pressure on him, as, as you sort of indicated, with, you know, his, his credentials that he came in to, to tech with and, you know, his, his uh, really slow start uh, to his career and um, the patience that he's also had to exhibit, too. I mean, they, they you know, redshirted him, you know, after his first year and, um, you know, he had to, you know, he's, he's had to work a few different positions sort of worked to that outside linebacker nickel spot there for uh, a year um, before they decided to redshirt him, um, what, four games in, I guess, and then uh, now moved him back to sort of his more natural position back at safety. And, um, you know, there, there is. There is some, some pressure. And he knows that. That's, that's the thing. I, I did – I wrote a story on him a few months ago and, um, you know, a really sharp guy, uh, who gets it? He understands the, the the game and and everything that's gone into these you know, the decision making process and the transition. I think uh, he he's a guy that could actually. I think uh, he loved Bud Foster and, and he and he looks at him as one of his mentors. But this is a guy I think that could benefit maybe from 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 this change and and uh, being able to play you know some zone back there and um, and, and I think. Uh, you know, it, it, he's a guy that uh, will maybe embrace a defensive coordinator that that played his position. Uh, you know, J- Justin Hamilton and uh, Devin Hunter will will speak similar languages with with uh, with how they perceive that position. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a change again that that could help Devin Hunter, um, but he is he's going to have a lot of eyes on him uh, to replace a, a guy that was. A three and a half year starter, um, and you know, really, uh, again, was was one of the the leaders on the team. Despite, as you mentioned, the fact that you know Reggie really did struggle in, in coverage. Um, ferocious tackler, big time hitter, like Devin Hunter in that regard. He's also got a rep for that. So, um, you know, he's going to have to make some calls back there. You would think. Um, and, and uh, along with Rayshard Ashby at, at middle linebacker, uh, so it's going to be um, it's going to be a situation where you'll see Devin Hunter probably tested uh, to see if he's ready, and he's going to have to pass the test early on. Norm, I wanted to briefly hit on special teams, the phase of the game that you can never forget about, but some teams do, but certainly not at Virginia Tech, where there's a tradition of Beamer Ball, of course. Um, and, and the one name that we, we have to mention while we're on this show and, and just absolutely could not get out of here without mentioning is none other than the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie himself, Oscar Bradburn. 
And as we said with uh, another punter in the league, my man hits big balls. He is a, a <laughs> hell of a weapon. And just having the consistency back has got to be a, a nice and comforting thing for setting up this new defense. Yeah, I, and uh, he's a character. I mean, he, he is. He is. Uh, he's. He's fun to talk to, and uh, you know, there are some stories that probably no one can share. Uh, he will never share from off the field that make him a really colorful character too. I mean, he is. He is as colorful off the field as he is on. Um, but he is fun to talk to. Uh, has an insight to the game. Uh, that's uncommon given his obviously his background um, and, and and his perspective coming from Australia, and he has gotten better every season. Um, a guy that can flip the field, uh, he's got great hang time. I can put it inside the twenty with consistency, um, and he is, as you said, a, a real asset. And um, you know, let, let's let's not look past the fact that um, you know. Brian Johnson as a place kicker uh, actually ended up having a really good season last year. I mean, you know, he started off pretty slow and and really finished strong. If I, I, I don't – I think I remember – I was looking at this uh, a couple of days ago. He made 19 of 23 field goals, I think it ended up being. Um, now, he's got, he's got issues a lot of uh, 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 kickers do beyond uh, the 50 and even beyond the 40. I think he's – and he made only 50% of those last year is four of eight. So um, automatic inside the 40, which is what you want from any kicker. Uh, but uh, he's got to get better from range. And maybe a year, an extra, you know, another year kind of puts him uh, in position to do that. He'll be, a, you know, this will be his third year as, as, as the guy at, at, uh, at that spot. So um, Tavion Robinson we talked about as a, as a punt returner. Uh, I think bigger things are expected of him, clearly. Um, you know, the, to, to, to me, you know, kickoff returns now are almost an afterthought at this point. You know what I mean? It's almost a, it's almost a bonus if you get anything more than a you know, 25, 30-yard return just because of the way the rules are these days. So um, I don't know if there's really much impact to be made there other than, you know, just don't turn the ball up for uh, don't give up the big one, I guess, if you're in coverage. Um, Virginia Tech's been pretty decent at that. Um, so, but, yeah, no question. Oscar Bradburn is all-ACC caliber guy, hunter, um, and will get some attention preseason for some of these national awards. Norm, our, our buddy Ricky LeBlue and I went back and forth on – how much more difficult Virginia Tech's schedule got when they went to a 10-game ACC schedule. My argument was, you know, the home schedule got a little bit more difficult. But in in my estimation, you know, obviously with, you know, the conference game winning percentage dictating who goes to the ACC championship this year in this kind of one-division format, that Clemson game means a lot more than a Penn State game would, for example, right, at home. Good point. Um, and, and given – yeah, and given how elite Clemson is and given how good Penn State was supposed to be, I look at it as, you know, Virginia Tech was probably going to have a rough time winning either one of those games anyway. So having Clemson on the schedule, while it matters for the ACC standings and trying to get to the conference championship game, 
I'm just not entirely sure how much more difficult the schedule got. Um, at home, they got BC, Clemson, Miami, NC State, and UVA, which I think is totally doable given NC State struggles, given that Miami has battled with trying to find consistency for a number of years now. It's reasonable to expect for Virginia to take a bit of a step back now without Bryce Perkins because of what he did offensively, especially in the running game. And then Boston College, new coach, new quarterback, et cetera. It seems fair to expect, at least from, from the home slate, Virginia Tech, you know, it sets up pretty well for them, I would think. And, I, and I'm curious to hear what, what, what you think of the schedule overall, but especially kind of at home where the Hokies have had their fair share of struggles. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, Mike, in the fact that I do think it's a, a challenging schedule, as I said, but it's doable. It's not, it's not an unbearable schedule. And your, your perspective on, you know, adding Clemson, um, you know, far more important game than the Penn State game would have been, um, but but similar in terms of maybe you know uh, the viability of winning uh, on on you know both fronts. Um, asking an awful lot, clearly, but um, it it is it is a a a tougher home schedule. Um, some 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 quirks that I noticed in this schedule when I first saw it come out that it'll be the first only the second time actually the second time in school history uh, Virginia Tech has played all uh, all four of the big um, North Carolina schools in one season um, NC State UNC Wake and Duke and the only other time they played all four teams was in 2004 which of course was their first year in the ACC and their first ACC championship. Um, so that doesn't mean much, obviously, for 2020, but it was just an interesting scheduling quirk in a way. But um, I think it's a really – I mean, if you look at it from – if you look at the road schedule, I mean, this is, this is a really workable schedule, no question about it. Um, Carolina's tough. It's going to be tough. But I think Duke – uh, an improving Louisville team, obviously, um, but I think a team that they can they can beat given given their depth. I'm talking about Tech and and Wake. Um, you know, you've got three wins there for sure, possibly four. Um, and, and again, then you've got to navigate a, a, a pretty challenging home schedule with uh, Boston College, Clemson. Uh, I think I, I think a pretty decent Miami team, like you said, I, I think it's still trying to gain some consistency in North Carolina State and a, and a Virginia team that's going to have to find its identity after losing so much last year. So, um, looking at that schedule, to me, um, really haven't done this breakdown yet. But if you're asking me, it's a uh, hmm, if you're going to add in. We'll say you, know, you will probably know by the time this podcast comes out. But it sounds like Liberty is going to be the non-conference game, quite possibly. Um, oh no! What do you wait? Eight wins? That's that's yeah. I'll go with eight wins. I'd say that. I mean, that's that's probably. I think that's that's a conservative estimate. I mean, I. I think uh, it's entirely possible they could win nine games. But certainly between 
I mean, a seven-win season, I think, would be a disappointment for for fans. But um, you know, again, we're we're, we're looking at an eleven-game scale here at this point. Yeah, Norman, and you had mentioned earlier again, kind of that a lot of fans would be expecting seven to eight wins, um, and that would. I guess that would be in the 11 game format. Um, and so I, I figure if you look at this, it's, it's hard to expect anything but a loss to Clemson, even at home, um, just knowing what Clemson is in the year 2020. Um, and so it really it probably comes down to what they end up doing with what three or four other games, Louisville, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, all those on the road. And then I'm just going to say Miami at home and just throw a whole bunch of shade in, in the way of Charlottesville that, I'm going to assume that's not going to be a problem in Lane Stadium this year. Yeah, I mean, I see, I, I think with the 11-game play, I think fans will be expecting an eight- or nine-win season. I, that's, that's just what I, I – you know, I, I think that's what they'll be expecting. Now, you know, again, it's you – know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if they drop back to 10 um, here in the coming days. Uh, they'll, they'll, you know, they lose that non-conference game. Um, but – I agree. Those are you, know, you mentioned sort of some of the swing games there. Um, North Carolina and Pitt on the road. Louisville obviously is an, an improving team. Um, that's that they they could be conceivably the second best team in in, in you know, we, if we were in the traditional format. Uh, that could conceivably be the second best team I think in the, in the Atlantic. Um, and uh, and then Clemson and Miami. Uh, are clearly the tough team, the tough games at home. So that's that's four or five um, challenging games right there. Where you know you're, you know, depending on how how those games go, you're looking at you know disastrous season. Is, is is six and five? I think at this point, uh, that's an utter disaster. Um, and uh, you know, a really really um, incredibly successful uh, the six season. I think would be. Nine wins. I, I, I think anything more than nine wins is is asking a lot from the schedule. Mike, that's all I got for Norm. Any other questions while we got him? I think we're good, man. Norm, thanks so much for joining us. You're officially a regular on the Basketball Conference podcast. Look at that. <laughs> that's right. Is there a T-shirt or something that I get for that? Like, do I get a membership card or? You're you're the second you're the second person who's asked that. Um, yeah. We had a yeah. Syracuse beat writer on asking if we were going to get him an engraved mug or something of that sort. So we've now had <laughs> two two different beat writers ask us for some sort of memorabilia. So yeah, no kidding. Who, who was was it? Chris Chan on or? Uh, no, we had uh, Nate Mink from uh, Syracuse.com. Good dude. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. So, yeah, absolutely. You open and grape cup or T-shirts or, 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 or uh, you know, at least some kind of maybe a secret handshake or something, you know, for, for the two-timers club. <laughs> get some of those cool plaques that YouTubers get now or whatever yeah, they are, man, the play awards. We've got to have some kind of participation trophy, man. It's, 2000, it's 2020. I mean, <laughs> We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to get all of our guests together to vote on it, Norm, too, because now we have multiple people asking about it too. So we're gonna have to get a we're gonna have to get a vote going of everybody we have on to make sure that we're all in agreement of what they get for being a recurring guest on the show. Well, I'm I'm gonna bid high on whatever it is. We'll 
You know, you, if you, uh, you know, some, something, something gold-plated for sure. Norm, if, if there's a poster that shows up in the mail that Mike and I have signed and the image on the poster is Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder standing on the sideline at Bowling Green, don't ask any questions. It's, it's, it's not a joke. It's from us. <laughs> All right, no problem. It will go directly over my masterpiece. That's, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we look forward to seeing a picture of that poster hanging in, in prime view. Either over the mantel, over, either over the mantelpiece, or directly in the fire. We'll see. <laughs> Wouldn't blame me either way. <laughs> well, Norm, thanks again so much for your time tonight and, and for all the insights. This has been a, a wonderful preview. We look forward to hopefully having you on again, and the uh, the swag that comes from it will, will improve every time. Well, thanks for thanks for having me, guys, and maybe we'll talk at some point down the road when. You know, um, you know, Hendon Hooker is, you know, putting up big numbers or, uh, you know, after Trey, Trey Turner, you know, a big, a big Trey Turner game or Rayshard Ashby is, you know, making a push for, you know, player of the year in the conference. All those, all those are possible, I think. You know, Hendon Hooker, I think, is, we didn't touch on Hendon Hooker very much in this conversation, but that's a guy that's, you know, what, coming off 13 touchdowns and two interceptions last year, so. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get a chance to talk more about those guys down the road. We'll see. Absolutely, absolutely. We need definitely need to have you back on sometime as we get some actual football under our belts. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Norm. Appreciate it, and uh, look forward to having you on soon. And uh, stay safe out there. Thanks, Norm. All right, guys. You too. All right, Mike, that was Norm Wood, uh, once again, of the Daily Press and the Virginian Pilot uh, from Newport News and Norfolk. Um, a lot, lot to take in there, but really just wanted to take a quick look at the schedule here uh, before we close out. And, and as mentioned, I mean, it's, it's fairly well balanced. Uh, Virginia Tech gets, if you rank those games one through 10, uh, most winnable to least winnable, it's a pretty balanced list in terms of what they have at home and what they have on the road. Um, obviously a, a premier home game against Clemson. If you're going to get them, you might as well get them at home. Um, three kind of toss up road games that will ultimately probably decide kind of what the season ends up being from a record standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to chalk up a loss against Clemson for Virginia tech. No, not a lot of fans want to hear that, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Um, if you're playing Clemson in the ACC right now, you're not going to love your chances. It's the reason why they keep winning ACC championships and they're continuously a playoff participant, national champion participant and winner, et cetera. Um, so that's a pretty tough game at home. Second toughest game at home without question is Miami, Virginia Tech overall under Justin Fuente has had moderate success against Miami. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, they lost a couple times, but they've also had two pretty convincing victories against the Hurricanes as well. So, uh, you know, given the variability with Miami, I think it's pretty safe to say that's a toss-up game at home. But I think NC State, UVA, and Boston College should all be winnable games for Virginia Tech. So, you know, you're looking at, at worst, probably three and two there. At best, probably four and one, just because I don't see the Hokies beating Clemson. Um, and then on the road, I mean, your point, uh, you know, hit the, hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, we talked with Norm about kind of the swing games on the road. Louisville, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh are three toughest games on the road without question. Virginia Tech should beat Duke, and they should beat Wake Forest, even if Duke is much improved this year, as we expect them to be. 
uh, with Chase Bryce at quarterback, but Virginia Tech's a much better team than Duke. They should win that game. They should beat Wake Forest. Wake Forest should be taking a step back, just given kind of who they have to replace in Jamie Newman at quarterback. Um, but don't Virginia Tech, on that. don't sleep on that Wake Forest game, though. Yeah, uh, that's not yeah. unlosable. It's not. I, hey, I I saw the Frank Beamer three to three overtime game, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not unlosable. <laughs> trust me. Virginia Tech's had plenty of struggles against Wake Forest in the past. Um, but Texas more talented team, they should win that game. So the three games, in my opinion, on the road to look at are Louisville, North Carolina, and Pitt. Um, I think Virginia Tech should beat Pittsburgh. The problem is Virginia Tech on the road at Pittsburgh, house of horrors, baby. House of horrors. They beat them once there in the last 20 years. So that's not an easy place to go play and go win. Um, and, you know, Kenny Pickett doesn't instill horror in anybody from a defensive standpoint, but um, – He's had some big wins before, so just something to keep an eye on there. North Carolina is the premier game on the road, without a doubt. Um, you know, they went to six overtimes last year in Blacksburg. Both teams are returning basically the same roster. It should be another slugfest there. And then the Louisville game, Norm alluded to this at length, and I think he's 100% right. Louisville, you know, given how much they improved last year, they only stand to improve a little bit more this year with Mikel Cunningham. I mean, they should be a very, very good team under Scott Satterfield. It's a record prediction here is a bit difficult. I'd like to see kind of the layout of the schedule, which I know we're going to get um, by the time this podcast is released. We'll know what the layout of the schedule is. Um, but at the time of recording, I look at, you know, the four toughest games as Louisville, North Carolina, Miami, and Clemson, with the fifth one, I guess, being Pittsburgh. I think at worst, given the non-conference game, I, I agree with Norm. I think at worst, six and five, but I think that would be absolutely catastrophic. Um, I'm going to go with eight and three here, Joey. Um, I think they win the one non-conference game. Um, I think they go seven and three in conference. Uh, it, it's just, you know, Clemson is almost an automatic loss. And I think between North Carolina, Pitt, and Louisville, it's uh, conservatively, I think they could split there and go two and two. And if they do that, then you're looking at an eight and three season overall, um, which I think is probably the median for the Hokies here. I think they do have upside of, of nine wins. I think anything more than that would be just an outstanding season for Virginia Tech. So I'm going to go eight and three overall, seven and three in conference. Um, and we'll see if, if that's enough to get to the ACC championship. I, I'm afraid with Notre Dame and North Carolina and Clemson, it's going to be very difficult to get there, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I look at the schedule and my gut is telling me seven and three. As as with you um, in conference, and sure we can toss in a non-conference win in there. So sure, eight and three. Yeah. Yeah. But I, the other thing is that I, you know, we start with a loss to Clemson. So then, what do they do in the other nine? They they could, and they, and realistically, with what's coming back and and what this program is in year five, like they should be seven and two in the other five in the other nine games. But we also know that Virginia Tech has a habit of losing a game they shouldn't lose. Um, we know they've got to go to Pittsburgh, and that's a, a nightmare for them generally. We also know that I'm just generally not a huge fan and don't have a lot of trust in this coaching staff. So I'm going to downgrade him by one. I'm going to say six and four, and that's a bigger response. But hey, come at me. Ooh. I, Ooh. You know, I'm, I, I got him like sixth in my power rankings, so I got to somehow justify that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not 
I mean, this is not full of softballs. And again, that's, that's three fully losable games on the road. And it's, I'm going to say six and four. I I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm a little bit of a skeptic, a little bit of a skeptic. So let's say six and four. Sure. We'll make it seven and four with the non-conference win um, speculation on who that'll be. But the the team that we're speculating is a team that they should wipe the floor with without a problem. So right. time will tell on that. Yep. So that would put Fuente in full hot seat mode for year six, full hot seat mode. Yeah. Well, and that's if he makes it to year six. Um, not that I think Virginia is going to fire him, but you never know who might get fired in the Big 12 and might come calling. So who's What's up, to TCU? Say? What's up, TCU? Gary Patterson been in a little bit of warm water this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, if you, if you check Justin Fuente's browser history and find something about Fort Worth real estate, like, don't be surprised. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Hopefully that's all. It's it. Never mind. I'm gonna hold that right there. Hold that. <laughs> Let's not go any further down that <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna go six and four. You're gonna go seven and three, Mike. Um, again, pretty well balanced schedule. Not a lot of softballs, but um, also there's only about one game on the schedule. I would say is not winnable, and it's the team that has lost two ACC games in five years. So. Um, no, no, uh, no slight to Virginia Tech or anybody else on that one is all. Nope. Nope. But, hey, trust me, there's a section of the fan base that says, oh, well, if they can't compete with Clemson, get rid of the coach. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, wish, I, I wish this was 2008 again, but it's not. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Time we'll to change. We will see. All right, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else on Virginia Tech before we uh, jump off of here? We're good, man. All right. Well, we are going to get out of here. we got more teams on the slate to preview, so keep your podcast fees tuned right here as we keep working our way towards the season uh, or what whatever it ends up being. It's going to be like a season or something. I don't really know, but we'll find out. Um, in the meantime, praying. you guys can find us praying, hoping, praying, um, trying to find the college football version of a rain dance, like all that stuff, um, whatever it takes. In the meantime, until we come back, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, and even song requests uh, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, Mike, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. Uh, and Mike, do you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Jay. Yes, please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, been some, a couple of good reviews lately, so thanks to those who have done that. And if you've not done that, please do. You're helping us out if you do that. So please do, and we, we appreciate those who have. Yep. Uh, Mike, you want to uh, come back and preview some more teams? We have now 12 more. 12 more. We are 20% done. That's just math. That is just math. Now we got uh, we got some more on the docket here that we've been we've been scheduling. So that's encouraging. Yeah. Things are still moving yeah. in a positive direction. And as far as we know, football is still going to happen. So we'll keep that's it going right. as best as we know, and we will uh, we'll keep you updated if if it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, but hopefully it does. Hopefully your college football rain dances. <laughs> yeah. Do those. Uh, all right, Mike. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Yep. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. And for Norm Wood, 
Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Nobody.